for tonight's show, I will only be answering to Barry or Mr. Champlain. <laughs> I will not be calling you either of those things. Call me Barry. Ew. <laughs> Welcome to Hey, Did You Ever See That Movie? I'm your host, Des, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Lynn. How do you dial a phone with a straitjacket on? <laughs> and back on the airwaves, the podcaster with a degree in terror, Tony. Hey, how's it going? Today, we will be discussing the 1988 drama thriller, Talk Radio, based on the off-Broadway play, Talk Radio, written by Eric Bogosian, directed by Oliver Stone, starring Eric Bogosian. John C. McGinley, Alec Baldwin, and Leslie Hope, among others. As always, this movie will contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Then come back and listen to the podcast. But before we get into it, let's run the trailer. This country is in deep trouble, people. This country is rotten to the core, and somebody better do something about it. I want you to take your hand out of that bowl of Fritos, throw away your National Enquirer, and pick up the phone. Go ahead, pick it up, hold it up to your face, and dial 555-T-A-L-K. Open your mouth and tell me what we're going to do about the mess this country's in. Talk radio. It's the last neighborhood in town. People just don't talk to each other anymore. Let's go to the first caller. Uh, Night Talk, Agnes, yeah. I love Lucy. Why don't they make more of them? Those shows are ancient, Agnes. Lucille Ball must be at least 105 years old. The rest of the cast is dead. <laughs> Barry Metroid's going to be picking up the show starting Monday night. Link it to a national theme. We have a very special guest with us. Kent is the classic American youth, energetic and resourceful, spoiled, perverse, and disturbed. Would you say that's an accurate description, Kent? Barry, you should ask me if you want to have a guest on the show. Oh, Barry, why? Because I'm the boss, Barry, that's why. All you have to do is just be nice, okay? Now, easy, Barry, you're part of the problem, you see. I don't care what you think! No one does! He's going down in flames, Dan. So what? You get the package I sent down to the station. See, if I were you, I'd have my pretty assistant give the police a call. Take the bomb squad about 10 minutes to get down Bomb squad? Why, why, why should I call the bomb squad? Tell me something, I, I, I'm curious. How do you dial a phone with a straitjacket on? All right, guys, let me give you a quick synopsis. A rude, contemptuous talk show host becomes overwhelmed by the hatred that surrounds his program just before it goes national. All right. So I've got some opening thoughts on this one, just a couple of fun little facts. Um, so in my, in my mind, this movie is a snapshot of the late to mid-80s. And it explores the difference between freedom of speech and hate speech, obviously, and, you know, the thin line between the two and, you know, where it should be drawn. Um, it's heavily influenced by shows like Morton Downey Jr., the Howard Stern show, and um, a Denver show uh, where the host Alan Berg was murdered in 1984, which triggered a book titled Talk to Death, written by Stephen Singular. 
And uh, Bogosian was heavily influenced by this book, and it shows up in the plot of the movie for sure. Um, talk radio costs four million dollars to make, but it only grows three and a half million at the U.S. and Canadian box offices combined. And uh, this was probably due to its limited release and only opening in a handful of theaters. Um, and this movie was actually shoehorned in between um, Wall Street Platoon, then it was this, and then Born on the Fourth of July. So as you can imagine, Oliver Stone took a huge pay cut to do this one because um, he just believed in it. So that's pretty much what I got on this as opening thoughts. Tony, do you have anything you want to add? I am just... No. I literally just got done watching it about 15 minutes ago and watching it on its release at ATM. I remember I actually went to, a, it was the, I believe it was the Nickelodeon theater in Boston, which is no longer there Wow! Um, to see this because I heard about it and it just in, it enthralled me and seeing it at 18 and seeing it at 52, completely different outlook viewpoints, everything like this movie blew me away watching it tonight. Oh, just yeah. so intense so intense and you know it's funny because we're the exact same age so same for me you know seeing this at 18 you know like you said it, it you look at it completely differently than you do it you know 52 like you know at 18 you're you're like you know connecting with kent <laughs> and, then, and at 52 you're like man he's a jerk to his wife <laughs> so so Lynn, what do you think um as i said to you earlier today what I thought was really interesting, and I'm sure as people can tell, my voice is not great. I've got a little bit of laryngitis here, so I'm going to try to keep it brief. But um, I found it really interesting how the topics of the day, you know, war, murder, rape, um, you know, drugs, it's the same stuff that's today. It was like legitimately you could have made that movie today and only changed a couple of words and everything would have resonated just as if it was back then. So it was very interesting to me how much the human race continues to do the same thing over and over again. And we always think, oh, it was so much worse or so much better or whatever. At the same time, uh, it's really not. We're we're humans and we continue to do the same stupid shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And we had a discussion, you know, earlier about, you know, freedom of speech and you know, how you can't really silence anybody because then you have to silence everybody. And, you know, if it's not hurting anybody, then anybody should basically be able to say what they want, all groups, everybody. And, you know, if it crosses the line and it is going to hurt somebody, that's where you have to say, you know, you can't do that. But, you know, it would be nice if, you know, the law of nature was just, you know, live and let live and everybody could kind of just accept each other, you know, regardless of race, creed or religion and you know so that's kind of where i stand on that i'm sure you two do well also there's also freedom of speech is the freedom to speak your mind and not like go to jail for it but it's not freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from consequences for what you say that's correct. what i was waiting to say exactly correct yeah correct. yeah so you know like like you, you you can be in the kkk and say all, all sorts of terrible things but if people find out it's you and then your business goes under, well, sorry, freedom of speech doesn't cover that, you know? Absolutely. That's absolutely a great point. And, you know, just right off the bat with us, you know, just saying what we've said already, it shows how important this movie is and was, and, you know, how it sparks conversation that, you know, needs to be talked about, in my opinion. So, you know, this is an important movie in my, in my opinion, but let's get into it. Um, <clears throat> so the movie opens with a sweeping shot of Dallas, Texas at night. It's set to the song Bad to the Bone, 
we hear the introduction for Dallas's number one talk radio show, Night Talk, starring Barry Champlain. A car pulls into the station parking lot while a nefarious-looking stranger watches from his car smoking a cigarette. Next, we see the inner workings and dynamics of the radio station and the crew for Night Talk. We meet Stu the Engineer, played by John C. McGinley, radio manager Dan, played by Alec Baldwin, Barry's producer-slash-assistant, played by uh, Leslie Hope, her name is Laura, Chuck Dietz, head VP in advertising for Metrowave, played by John Pankow, and radio shock jock Barry Champlain, paid, played by Eric Bogosian, who is on air winding up his listeners. Tony, why don't you take it? It's, it's just a great introduction because you literally are dropped into one of the shows. There, it's, it's almost like a one take. He gets out of his car, he goes into the radio station, drops his jacket off, grabs the microphone, goes right in. It's a perfect introduction. The one thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to geek out about this throughout, first of all, I could have easily done a commentary to this whole movie. Like I have so many thoughts and so much appreciation for every, literally almost everything about this movie. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it all in an hour, even an hour and a half, because I'm just going to be such a, a fanboy for Oliver Stone's. And I, I apologize. I didn't look up who the cinematographer was, but his use of reflections and mirrors and just everything about this movie has something amazing about it, whether it's the dialogue, it's the characterizations or the way it's shot and lit. Like Tony this is so over the top, beautiful to watch from a filmmaker appreciation point of view. Yeah. Oh. Let me let me just stop it real quick because everything you just said, I said to Dylan in the car the other day, driving home. Like almost word for word. I am so with you on this, man. I was I was like chubblicious during this movie. So go ahead, continue, because I want to hear your it, thoughts. Well, it's just we're we're dropped right in and he instantly picks up the phone and you've for lack of a term, I mean, it's it's impossible not to there's just so much I want to get into. The, the characterizations of every different call, you have the, the sweet little old people who are calling in just to have someone to talk to. You have these racist and hate-filled you know, attackers who are just verbally abusing him and threatening him over the phone, whether it's, it's because of his ethnicity or his liberal viewpoints. And this is the first thing I, I noted, the first difference I noticed from when I was 18 to now is that watching the first 10 minutes of this movie, seeing him interact with the people, I thought he was conservative. Like his viewpoints were very, the first intro to him was, he's very um, uh, Republican is the only way, the descriptor I'm going for. Right. And then when I was a kid, I'm like, well, wait, he was the one who used to tell it like it is. Did my viewpoints change that much? And then I realized as it goes on, you see what he really is, but it's very much the, closed-minded this is how i see it his point of view goes because he has the hang-up button that's, that's what it comes right. down to even if he agrees with you he's going to insult you and he's going to hang up on you because that's his job yeah and that's yeah. that's his ratings so whether someone's being nice to him he might get a few smart ass comments in but it's never an appreciative interaction until later on in the movie which i'm sure we'll get to but the first introduction to him he's abrasive he's abusive he's unsympathetic and he's completely over the top characterization of what you when you say shock jock that was it oh yeah his black leather jacket his stubble the way he, he drops his coat lights up a cigarette and jumps right into the attack it's the perfect you know what you're dealing with now that's right yeah and uh Dylan, what do you think 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't have a ton to add, but I really did appreciate um, the interesting shots, like the reel-to-reel tape and like the lights coming on. And like, they're just like little things that like take you from one place to another, but it really kind of takes you into that world. And I thought they did a good job with that. And I also did want to just say that um, the cinematographer for the movie was Robert Richardson. And he ended up doing a ton of stuff with Oliver Stone. He did Born on the Fourth of July. He did The Doors. He did JFK, Natural Born Killers. So he's got yeah. quite a lot of, he also did a bunch of Scorsese stuff, including Casino. So yeah. just, the, uh, the, the crossfades and the, the light up, light, light down. I mean, the way to get yeah. an entire cast into a one-man show in one shot is the reflection of him in the studio of 10 people. And all I have to do is light up the studio and everybody all of a sudden shows up in the same shot. Beautiful way to do it. Perfect way of seeing their, his, his attack, their reactions to it. No question, Josh. You know what everybody is thinking in that room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tony, He's very I, creative. I couldn't agree with you more on this opening. And, you know, I fell in love with the way this movie looked immediately from you know seeing this stranger in the parking lot which giving it this like you know mystery movie horror movie feel you've got you know these slow motion shots of cigarettes being lit and red lights and reel to reels and you know and Barry Champlain this character is so smart because yeah he's antagonizing these people and he's winding them up but He's so smart. Like, you know, the way he comes up with these stories off his hip, like we're going to get into one about, you know, the concentration camp. It's like he's making this shit up as he's going along, but he is freaking like, it's, it's genius. And sharp. He's sharp as attack. And, but, but he's also very well read because when they, when they call in and sit in there citing their, hate speeches he's like oh i'm very familiar with that book it's written by this person and this is where it takes place am i right about this and the person's just like yep i'm just yeah. counting lies you know yeah so he's very well read he's is informed he's just an asshole <laughs> yeah and and you and that's that's you know a perfect example of this character barry champlain like you said he's got an answer for every question and he's not going to be caught off guard by anybody throughout this movie and and you know this character could not, in my opinion, have been played by anybody but Eric Bogosian. And had it been played by anybody but Eric Bogosian, this movie doesn't play as good as it did. And who they really wanted for this part was Dustin Hoffman. Nope. And I love <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, but not as Barry Champlain. So if, yeah, this, that's... Movie was, if this movie was made 10 years, because I actually, every movie I watch, I do that. I'm like, who else could play this character maybe differently or better? I would appreciate it. The only person that came to mind that could pull this off is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm. Watching him in Almost Almost Famous, it's the same kind of just, he's he's just disenfranchised, he's angry, he's sick of everything, but he does have the heart in there. He just has it so protected and it's so scarred up with emotional, yeah. emotional turmoil, he doesn't let it go. So that's the only person of everybody I can think of that I think could have pulled this off. But no, could, Bogosian, perfect. perfect. Yeah, I could see it, but it wouldn't have been what Bogosian brings to this man. Some of these facial expressions, he didn't have to say a word, and I was sold. Yeah. I also would like to uh, point out at this point that Eric Bogosian got the role of Daniel in the new Interview with a Vampire miniseries because of talk radio. They oh, wanted cool. him. Like they, they literally went out of their way to get him because of how much they loved what he had done with talk radio. So it continues to get him work to this day. 
Well, he was in Uncut Gems as well, which is another yeah. long, long anxiety attack kind of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like everything he does just stresses me out. But again, I thought it was very good. And, you know, it's also should be mentioned that um, Oliver Stone did help write this screenplay, which is what, you know, ultimately lured him into directing the movie. Um, all right. So during a break in the show, Dan introduces Barry to Chuck and informs him starting Monday, Night Talk will be broadcast nationwide. Barry seems put off by the news and takes to the air to inform his listeners while sending a passive-aggressive message to Chuck and Metrowave saying he won't soften his touch and to take it or leave it. He then fields a call from an unhinged, threatening listener, Chet, who will continue to raise the stakes throughout the movie. He also fields a call from an 18-year-old Kent who claims his 17-year-old girlfriend is overdosed. Dylan, what'd you think of the scene? Um, you know, it really is setting up very quickly that a lot of people don't like him. <laughs> and with good reason. You know, I mean, he's antagonistic. And um, what's the tagline about him? The, the guy you love to hate. And you yeah. love to hate. Yeah. So, uh, it, like you said, the stakes and the anxiety kind of increases as you watch the film. It goes up and up each time he takes a phone call, really. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was definitely kind of rolling my eyes a little bit at Kent just because I've known a lot of those people. <laughs> but um, <Yeah. laughs> uh, it, 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 like I said, just every time he takes a phone call, every time he hangs up on somebody, it's almost like you're moving one step closer to the ultimate moment of the movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, Tony, what'd you think? No, no, same thing. It's the fact that every time you hit the like, chat, you're online and there's a pause and you mm -hmm. wait to hear what's, what's, what's on the other end. And it's always even more chilling when it's just a soft spoken, like chat is, is disturbingly soft spoken oh, yeah. and very sure. Just, he's very like, you know, yours is coming. It's like, it's, it's all knowing, even if, even in his bullshit that he tries to give him, it's still chilling and threatening because it's not a raving maniac, which is like, Oh, you can easily dismiss that. It's yeah. someone who calculated cold and has a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and as far as, as, as Kent goes, yeah, I, we, we all live that life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. And you, yeah, you can kind of see through you, you, whenever you get a kid calling and you know, it's like, oh, but you know, it's like, you, you're going to have those. <laughs> but I think it's, yeah, that was almost like a Baba Booey moment. <laughs> Very much so. So yeah. I mean, that was the one you kind of went, oh, okay. You roll your eyes at this is what we're going to be dealing with as well. And, but of those, of those two, yeah. I mean, Chet, each time Chet called in, it just, it, like you said, it just upped and upped and like it tightened and tightened, you know, something's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many sub stories going on too, you know, with the rapist and, you know, we're going to get some calls from some other people here too, that are unhinged, like, you know, the child beater and they're all very, you know, calm and threatening, you know, like sweet dreams, you know, these guys are, these guys very are threatening. And, the, and I, again, I'm going to be very, I hate to say stereotypical, but it's like, I lived in Texas for two years. Mm. They're very convinced their ways are the right way. Yeah. And as we know, in current times, Texas doesn't agree with a lot of liberal ideas, we'll say. Yeah. So hearing all that, like Dylan said in the beginning, it kept calling me back. Like this could be made this year. Yeah, like how frightening the the hate speech, the, the the topics they discussed of isolation, 
through COVID. Like the one woman was like, why don't I ever go anywhere? I'm just happy to be home. It's like, I don't, what's wrong with me? It's like people doubting themselves because they're isolated or, you know, the drugs that are coming in and, and all of the things that were on the last two elections came up yeah. in this movie in 1988. Yeah. And legalizing and like, drugs. And we just started legalizing pot places, but he was talking about it back then. Yeah. It would have saved so much money. Look what's happened to the, to the, literally the States, the cities that have done it. The taxes have been amazing. The cities are doing amazingly well, but again, side, side note, but this movie was so far ahead of its time oh, yeah. in the thinking and projecting what the issues, not, I can't even say resolutions because nothing ever got resolved. Yeah. It was just raising these issues into the public eye that he, as he said, I'm here to say the things you don't want to say. You need me. Yeah. I'm, I'm the piece of shit that you don't want to be. So you need me here to do your dirty work for you. What's funny about this movie, Tony, is so being a movie lover, I have a website that I go to that basically just has a catalog of movies that you can listen to. And I listen to talk radio at work all the time. And it, and yeah, and it's funny because, you know, the banter between Barry and his listeners is so organic and it feels so real that I'll listen to the movie because I feel like I'm listening to like really savory, good talk radio. And it's like highlights and the best of the best. Yeah. And uh, I think that that, I think the way they pulled that off is uh, it's, it's genius. It, it's amazing. It doesn't feel fake, right? Not a bit, not a bit. And just because I have, you know, older friends and, and actually some relatives who listen to talk radio back in the day when this was real, like this was, yeah. this, this was like, this is based on reality. This isn't just like, Oh, Howard Stern. We always talks about boobs and sex. And it's like, there, this used to be a real thing. Like we don't have a lot of it anymore. We have a lot more podcasts where you can, you actually have to like look for them and subscribe to them. But this used to be on like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, call in and talk shit. Oh yeah. So yeah. It's like, when you think about everything that he's dealing with, this was real stuff. Yeah, definitely. It's even more disturbing. Definitely. Um, and you said that you lived in Texas. So something I thought was pretty cool about the way they set this up was they could have very easily put this movie like in New York, you know, one of the bigger, um, you know, hubs, L.A. But I don't think it would have worked as well, you know, because you're in Texas and, you know, you got a lot of, you know, good old boys and, you know, and I, I think that, you know, you put this this Jewish shock jock, you know, spinning these really controversial um, topics, you know, at this, you know, late night audience in Texas and you're, you know, you're going to get fireworks. And I thought that it really worked and it was a great setting for the movie. Completely. Yeah. I mean, aside from like a Mormon village or, or something <laughs> like that, you're, I mean, everywhere else just has at least some leniency, some liberalization, some sort of at least understanding of the other side. There's always going to be extremes on both sides. I, I'll, right. I'll never deny that. But yeah, you go to Texas, you you know what you're dealing with. Right. Uh, all right. So uh, next we get some exposition between Laura and Stu revealing Laura is in fact sleeping with Barry. Barry calls his ex-wife to tell her Night Talk is going national and he would like her to fly out to be at the first show and support him. She agrees. Um, a distraught Debbie calls and we see the caring side of Barry as he comforts her. This is followed by a second call from Chet informing Barry he has sent him a bomb. Barry opens the package live on the air to find a Nazi flag, a dead rat, and a letter saying he knows what he looks like and where he lives, thus raising the stakes. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I would like to talk for just a minute about, uh, you know, him and the ex-wife, you know, because it's like 
this woman has left his life and has moved on. Obviously, she's got Lou and she's doing her own thing. And he is going to lean heavy on her and be like, hey, I need you to come here and, and hold my hand for this, essentially. And I almost thought that was um, a precursor to the discussion with, uh, what was the caller, Debbie? Yeah. Um, you know, because uh, that, it's it's almost a weakness. You know, like, because he's a guy that doesn't seem like he wants to show weakness to people, but he wants her to come and be there. And it's yeah. like, that's almost a weakness. Like, he's almost like the kind of guy that's like, I don't need anybody or anything. But there he is calling her and asking her to come. So I thought that was interesting. And I'm not exactly sure what his reasoning is for wanting her there other than just, quote unquote, support. Yeah, well, but, we're going to get into that because I have some questions about that as well. But yeah. Okay. Okay, so yeah, I just that was what I really focused on the most because that was a very interpersonal connection that he has, and it's um, it shows that he's not just this angry screaming guy, you know. Yeah, Tony, what'd you think of this scene? Uh, no, that I, that's pretty much where I was going to go with it. The fact this is the first time we see Barry vulnerable. You know, it's like he put up the bravado to, to Alec Baldwin in an awesome role, by the way. Um, yeah. Alec Baldwin, his boss, you know, I, 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 this is my show. I do what I want. I'm, I, they can take me or leave me. And, you know, to the other guy who was, um, I forget his, his name, but who also was in another awesome movie, To Live and Die in L.A., but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, but to call his wife right after that, the whole bravado of like, this is my show. I do what I want on it. You can't tell me nothing. Ellen, I need you to be here. I need I need somebody I could trust here. Literally, his words, I need someone I could trust. He literally has no trust for anyone else in his life, whether it's his work producer, the person he's sleeping with, or his or his partner, who has pretty much been with him since the beginning of his career. That's None right. of them, he doesn't trust any of them. And yeah. even, you know, I, and a, another amazing performance by John C. McGinley, who's oh, never so been right. bad in anything, as this very matter of fact, very no bullshit. I'm going to call a spade a spade. You're an asshole. John McGinley He's just amazing in this. But yeah, he's like, I'm here to do my job. You do your job. Everybody stay out of my way. You're screwing things up. I'm going to tell you. But that's it. He, he knows he knows the relationship with him. But the only person who's ever had his back and tried to steer him in the right direction was his wife, his ex-wife. And that's, that's right. literally in that two minute, not even two minute scene, you got that dynamic that this is the one person he can go to and that's it. Yeah. Cause she's got to um, fly out from another city to get there. So for him to ask that and you, you know, she's like, well, I don't think he's like, all right, all right. I, you don't worry about it. Don't come out. Don't come out. Like he tried to cancel cause he realizes he exposed himself too much. And then. Tried right. To yeah. And you know, you got her husband in the background, you know, <clears throat> this is causing problems. Um, but you know, selfishly, he doesn't care, you know, Hey, tell him to shut up. Tell him it's me, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's she's willing to get into it with her husband for him. You know, she's still you know, she it's it, it's not been closed yet, even though she's moved on and she's remarried. You know, she still has a place in her heart for him at this point in the movie anyway. Um, so this scene for me, what really stood out and, you know, again, it goes to the directing and the uh, screenplay or the yeah, the, the screenplay of this is he gets this package and, you know, Chet tells him, I know you're looking at it. I know it's right there. Tell your pretty little assistant to call the bomb squad. You know, you think I'm going to call the bomb squad? Some pinhead calls in? No. And he's saying, you know, you call anybody and I'm walking off. And he's going to open this package, even though it could explode in his face. And what I thought was really great was while he's opening this package, you've got this suspense building 
but he's talking to this woman on the line about how she's afraid of her garbage disposal. Yeah. Right. So there he's treading a line of like, you know, this comedy relief that we need right here while we're in one of the most dramatic scenes in the movie. And wow, did it play really great for me because it was kind of pulling me in two directions. And uh, I just thought it was really good. And, uh, you know, to see what was inside the box, obviously extremely um, disturbing. Yeah. And, and again, uh, all done in a reflection. He yes. holds up the Nazi flag in the reflection. And we're looking into the studio, seeing his producer, like, putting his hands in his hair, like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Like, you know, it's, it, again, so masterfully done. No cut back and forth, no swipes, literally mm -hmm. one scene. Of, yeah. And you see everyone's reaction. Yeah, it's, uh, it's shot beautifully. It's, you know, we're going to get some other scenes that are, like, you know, just really good. We'll get into it. But, yeah, really, really good. Um, so the next scene, I love this scene. So Barry's at a basketball game to be a guest speaker. Here we see a polar, the polarizing effect he has on the citizens of Dallas. Some love him, but most hate him. And he is relentlessly booed by the crowd. Next morning, Barry is laying next to his assistant, Laura, in bed when he receives a call from Dan to set up a breakfast between him and Chuck. Barry refuses the invitation before receiving a call from his ex-wife who was waiting for him at the airport. Barry lies and tells her he hadn't forgotten and he's on his way. Like the true narcissist asshole he is, he asks Laura to straighten up the place before she leaves. <laughs> Barry picks up his wife, Ellen, played by Ellen Green at the airport. There's a ton of exposition and flashback scenes giving us the origin of Barry Champlain going from a suit salesman to a shock jock and the demise of his marriage stemming from infidelity and putting the show ahead of his marriage. Tony, what'd you think was going on here? Oh, there's just so much here. Like I said, this, this whole discussion could be like an hour. Oh, unpack it. Oh, Jesus. So the whole, the phone call, you know, it's, it's been, Dylan, you go first. I got I got to. Okay. <laughs> Give yourself a second. I love it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to back it up to the basketball game. And okay. the reason why I'm going to back it up to the basketball game is because the woman that throws the drink in his face is Anna Thompson. And she later goes on to star in, well, doesn't star in, but she shows up in The Crow. She's Darla from The Crow. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. And also Michael Wincott, who we will run into this movie later, is also from The Crow. So they mm. were both in both movies, even though they didn't share any scenes. And I thought that was kind of interesting because the minute she came on the screen, I was like, I know her. <laughs> yeah. And you, you hear her voice in several of the calls. Yes. Too. Yes. Her voice is in several of the calls. And so it's Michael Wincott. Yes. They both did uh, voices. Um, but yeah. So uh, wow. Barry, the, the suit salesman. Whoa. That was that was quite the look. <laughs> I loved it. So Howard Stern. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought that the scene where uh, his wife catches him cheating was really sad, and it was a it was a bummer because you know you already know that this is the only person he cares about really and cares that can, he can trust, and that's what he did to her, and yeah. um, that was disappointing to see that he kind of let it get there, you know. Yeah. Well, I felt like he kind of knew his intentions when he, you know, asked her to, you know, basically join the show. And she said, no, it might mess up our marriage. And he goes, fuck our marriage. Did, she, oh, did you just say fuck our marriage? Yeah. So yeah. you could see there that, you know, he was a career oriented guy and he was going to put um, his career ahead of. Ellen. Yeah, but she, cheating with like 
girls that it wasn't even like it was like he was having an affair with his boss or something no. you know just cheating with some girls that's not really putting his show above everything else well he was partying with Stu. well true <laughs> uh tony i got a quick question on the basketball scene for you and not to jump ahead but i'm we not there's lots of people during this movie that threatened to kill um barry and we know it's a guy no not to spoil this but we know it's a guy do we see the guy at the basketball game? Because I, I kind of think we do. I, I, I searched for him tonight because I knew what he looked like. So I think we did, but he wasn't it, one. He wasn't one of the ones that that came up to him. It's not the guy with the ponytail, the big fat guy that asked for his autograph. It, yeah, that's him. I apologize, that is him. Yeah, okay, because I thought he, so too. Yeah, he had the picture at the end. Again, getting ahead, but he had the yeah. same picture at the end. But, okay, yeah. So I thought so because I was trying to find it and I, I can't find it anywhere. You can Google it. Who's the killer? It's just it's not out there. But I thought that it, they did a really nice job when he's asking for the autograph. You almost can't recognize him. I recognize him because of the ponytail, but he's like being very nice and smiley. And then, you know, he's like spitting venom at the end. So it almost looks like two different guys. But I think it's that guy for the basketball game. It, and I think that's why they freeze frame him at the end for like a good three or four seconds. It's actually a freeze frame on it yeah. to make you understand it. But and yeah, they close up on his teeth. So I think you might get a shot of that same broken tooth during the basketball game. But I didn't go back and look because I rented the movie. Unfortunately, I couldn't find my copy. But with the new format, um, Tony, go ahead and unpack this because, you know, we're already like halfway through. So let it rip. Pretty much that basketball scene. As just a whole, it it added reality to what you're already feeling. We don't, we only have people's opinions of him. We see him being an asshole to people he works with, but you know what? We're all assholes to people we work with too, but we're not assholes. Yeah. And like, they they're gonna think we are, but for the most part, we're we're decent people. You see everybody, with the exception of one person in the stands, cheering him, like yeah. booing him, except for that one guy. Like right. it was so uncomfortable. And watching Darla come up to him and say to his face like you're just a pathetic evil person i really feel bad for you it's like laying it all out and he gets so he's so caught off guard by all like it's almost like he's dumbfounded that like why would these people do this to me like he's so narcissistic in the public eye let me interject something quickly here it's funny because she being a drunk loss as she is she's one of the only characters in this movie that actually gets him off his game for a second yeah you know and um Another thing I want to say is this crowd, they all are booing them like passionately, like again with Venom, but that means they all listen to him. Well, that's what that's some of the listeners say that. So, you know, when he get when he finally has his breakdown at the end, I don't want to get too far ahead to it. When he finally has his breakdown at the end, you know, why do you people listen to him? Like, what do you like about the show? Well, I don't know. What do you like about the show? I want to hear what you're going to say next, which yeah. is what people literally used to, which is what people literally said Howard Stern. Correct. It's like the, the ratings are in, they're up. What about the people who didn't like him? They listen too. Why are they listening? They want to see who's going to say next. They listen twice as long, is what right. he says. To yeah. complain about it. Yeah, so it's true like, enough. But seeing someone in person who's such a hateful, nasty person, of course you're going to boo it. I, I, I do have to admit that, like, you know, it's he. this was at a college, a college basketball game. I'm sorry. There would have been a handful, at least a handful of pockets here and there, of people, like, of college assholes cheering him. Oh, there were. It, there weren't. No. There was one guy, one guy, the guy who asked him for his autograph that wasn't the killer. 
the tall geeky guy. <laughs> He's literally the only person in the whole stands that was cheering him. Everyone else was doing the, you know, down, down, boo. And because I watched for it because I'm like, I wanted to find something unrealistic here, but it wasn't. It's like every, that was the only part of all, this whole movie. They're like, no, oh, I can nitpick that. Did you guys also notice how um, claustrophobic that scene was considering they're in a basketball gymnasium? Yeah. Like everybody that talked to him was like on top of him. Yes. And I was like, oh, God. like I was watching it. I wanted to push the people away. And yeah. it was like, I, I clearly think they did that to give you that feeling of discomfort. Yeah, there's a line that he says that I I stole and I've been using it my whole life is okay, back in your cage. <laughs> I freaking love that. Um and let me ask you cuz Tony, there's three callers that I think could be the killer. So, you've got the guy that threatens him for talking about Jericho pizza. I don't yeah. think it's him because, you know, he sounds like he's like a very Italian guy to me. I mean, that's just kind of what I got. The family, the family, the family. Right, the family. The then you got the caller that's, you know, beating his kids. And, you know, he says, you know, I know who you are and I know where you live. Sweet dreams. Yeah. And then you've got Chad. So those are your three possible killers. Which one do you think it is? Oh, it's totally Chad. You think it's Chad? Also, don't forget the woman at the end. Obviously, we know it's not a woman. Yeah. But the woman who goes off on the revelations yeah. speech at the end, right before he has his complete undoing, yeah. was that was that monologue. I, I want to learn that monologue. It was so dark it and is. foreboding. But yeah, I, I feel it, it. The guy who beats his kids, anyone who has like a you know psychology 101, they're not going to stand up to an adult. As soon as they're faced with challenge from another adult, they're going to back down. Anyone who beats their kids beats kids because that's all they could beat. They're right. weak, weak people, you know. Yep. And the 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 other one, no, it, it's it's Chet. Chet. It's Chet. I mean, yeah. and then you have the fourth caller, which is the one that recommended the book of all you Zionistic, you know, people. They're all you have your cup out, come up and it's coming. You know, it, that's that's the f the fifth one actually. I mean, they you had a library of them here, but Chet's yeah. the only one that sent the package. That got physical, that you know, yeah, was knew knew everything about him. It's the, other made, the others made vapid threats, random threats. He was the one who's like, "Get your pretty assistant. I know she's there." Right, he's watching because he's on the roof. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Um, so I, I had a funny uh, a funny little fact too about it. So you know, during his um, his jock days, he says he's going to torture his listeners by playing uh, the BG Saturday Night Fever 10 times in a row. But um, in reality, there is no such song, Saturday Night Fever. And he actually plays Disco Inferno, which uh, did appear on the soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever. So I thought that was kind of funny. That was good. Yeah. And yeah. That, the whole flashback was done so well. It was. You know, his, his, in you know, being a suit salesman, chance meeting through an, a co-worker, one of the local disc jockeys who decided, hey, you got a good voice, come on my show. And he literally stole the show away. Stole it. Just in a complete dick way. Not even like, you know, undermining him. He literally rode over him. Oh, yeah. Which shows you this was him from the beginning. This yeah. is who he's always been. It just needed an outlet. And yeah. Although you see, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead now, but you see um, a juxtaposition of that <clears throat> with when uh, Kent comes on and Kent takes over and starts yelling. Like, obviously, Kent doesn't do the job that he did when he was with the old guy, but 
he basically almost does the same thing. He he steps in and starts talking. Well, and they grab him and throw him out. <laughs> yeah, the difference is is Barry Champlain is a radio savant and Chet yeah. is a fucking idiot. Goon. Yeah, but it's just it was very interesting because it's basically the same exact thing. Like he's having a conversation with a person, and Barry jumps in, and then Barry's having a conversation with a person, and Kent jumped in. So it was almost the exact same thing, even though it wasn't. Um, he obviously wasn't as good. <laughs> yeah. And I love that the, you know, the owner of the up and ups at that radio station, you know, were able to identify how talented, you know, and raw Barry was. And, you know, even though the, uh, the star shock jock, you know, was basically like, you're all done. You know, I love when he has to eat crow and be like, my boss wants to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> and really good. Well, watching his, the, the interaction with him and his wife, Ellen, all we've had at this point is just like aggression, aggression. The person is such a strong personality. Everybody's got an agenda. Barry's is, is talking over people. His girlfriend produced. I want to be heard. I want to be heard. I want to advance my career. Everybody's got something. Ellen's the only soft spoken person who just wants to be good. She just wants to be happy. She wants yeah. him to be happy. And they got the perfect person to play that because she's so soft spoken. And she's a complete 180 from him, who's loud, boisterous. It's funny, was I was watching the movie, my wife was like, I, he's got the, you're, I know the volume's down, but the baby's sleeping, but I can hear his voice down the hall <laughs> because he's wow. got such a booming voice. And she was such a juxta juxtaposition to who he was. And watching him just destroy her was yeah. painful. It's like, there are a few cringeworthy things well, to get in. Watching her put together what's going on when she walks through the door and you know Stu's there with the other girl and she's like she doesn't want to believe you can see it like her delivery her body language she doesn't want to believe it doesn't want to believe it here comes Barry here's the girl down the stairs it's like you feel it you feel yeah. it your gut it's like this is just fucking terrible oh my god yeah and her performance is so good I mean I just want to gush about this movie so much because there's not one bad performance in this whole crew and everybody yeah. did their job so good when they had to i mean obviously people 180 and people you know you see the growth in their characters throughout the film but when they when they hit their marks man it's it's fucking golden yeah it's 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 all golden and if night talk was a real show i'd be listening you know i i can't i can't do <laughs> it's, it's like it's like trying to and i i, I hate it. definitely to offend anybody out there but it's like it's like talking to a trump supporter man i just can't do it oh it's so it drives me literally i'm talking i could i could talk to a rock and have more i could listen to talk radio night talk for hours and like i said i listen to this movie as if it was talk radio and i'm not saying of course i don't you know agree or identify with you know these horrific topics but I just find it so entertaining. I mean, the way the way uh, Bogosian plays this character, it just it draws me like freaking a moth to a light. I just love listening to him talk. See, as as much as I I do enjoy cringeworthy humor, and and I do stop at car crashes because you just, it's, it's human curiosity. <laughs> but it's the it's there's something about it. I'll watch all the movies all day. I'll watch the worst thing you want to put in front of me. I'm going to watch it because I'm curious. But once I know something's real then it's a different it's a it's a different ball game for me i can't do it gotcha. and knowing that there are real people i in a way i'm like kent it's like kent doesn't want to know about the world kent doesn't want to hear 
about the world issues. He wants to party. He wants to do his thing. I am blissfully ignorant and knowing there are people out there, but I don't want to experience it because it makes me sad for the world. Yeah, you know? Then you should be sad for the world, especially where it's at right now, because it's uh, it's pretty effed up. <laughs> um, all right. So back at the radio station, Barry is told by Chuck and Dan that the national feed will be delayed for a couple of weeks. Barry takes to the air with a chip on his shoulder and tells his listeners the national feed is delayed and that tonight anything goes. Hit me with your best shot. After Barry gets into it with a Holocaust denier, Kent calls back and confesses he's been messing with him and made up the whole story. Barry invites him on to the, into the studio just to spite Dan and Chuck. After overhearing his wife talking about him to her new husband, Barry goes back on the air. He's obviously upset and takes a call from Joe, who threatens him and informs him he knows where he lives. Next, he gets a call from John, a guy claiming to be a serial rapist on the edge of committing another rape. Here we get our first look at Kent, played by Michael Wincott, a crazy whacked-out rocker. After some on-air banter, Kent reaches into his jacket and pulls out a camera, snapping some shots before being rushed out of the studio for the fear that it could have been a gun. Knowing Barry is going down in flames, Ellen phones in, pretending to be a listener, Cheryl Ann, with a softball call to get him back on track. He's absolutely horrible to her during the call, and she finally leaves for good. Um, to Lynn? Yeah, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> Each I one mean, be twenty minutes. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's let, we'll start with Ellen. It's like it's so heartbreaking. You know, she's still got feelings for him. She still cares about him, and he basically takes a crap on her head. It's like, oh my god! Like just watching it is like painful. It's painful. Yeah. And um, of course, you've got Kent, who's absolutely completely out of his mind, and um. I, I he does it he does a great job with it. Michael Wincott does a wonderful job with it. He is completely bizarre and strange and exactly what you would expect him to be, you know? Oh man, I love this character. <laughs> <laughs> uh Tony, what are you thinking? Take us um, through it. Excuse me. There's um, a lot to unpack here. Yeah, it's just it's um Kent is is who I like the most my first time seeing it through. Because he was just so, again, over-the-top caricature of the metal partier of, the, of 1988. And he was played to perfection by Michael Wincott. Which, if you look at him now, it's like, that's not Michael. It can't be Michael Wincott. And it's totally Michael Wincott. Yeah. And he's just so ADHD. He can't focus on the questions. He's looking around the studio. He's drinking his Pepsi. Got the sunglasses on. Wants to be a rock star, the whole thing. And he just... And Barry's just throwing these these. So, what do you think about the 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 drug trade? What do you think about the Middle East? It's like I don't really think about that, Barry. He's he's literally has no idea because he doesn't want to deal with reality that the you know the Barry's given him and it's bringing him down to the point that when we hear one of the callers calling in and saying they're having a hard time, that's what finally makes Chet lose it. Yo, get a fucking straight razor and cut your fucking wrists. And it's like, yeah. that's when they scored him up because he can't deal with reality, which is where basically I look at, I look at Kent as the, as Bogosian and Stone's personification of where they felt most of America was. At you that are, time. You are, yeah, exactly at that time. You're closing your eyes to the problem. You don't, all you want to hear is girls just want to have fun. All you want to do is watch Purple Rain. All you want to do is stick your head in the sand and not deal with, with you know, where the wars and things we're dealing with. Yeah. And 
they made it such a characterization like oh we laugh at that but then you stop and think about it, like all he wanted to do was just party he didn't want to look at any of the bad stuff that was everybody it yeah. is everybody at some point in your life and yeah they set it up as he's being dragged out reaching in and there's actually an audible click like he's cocking a gun when he reaches in mm-hmm. and he pulls out his hands a blur and he snaps a picture which could have been the flash of a gun until you see its camera. It was done so well, but that's just the threat that they're setting up and have set up. Like you don't know what's in, what's coming next. That's literally the theme of this entire movie is you don't know, you press a button, you don't know what's coming next. Right. And it's funny because, you know, when we first see, um, when we first see him, we're seeing his reflection of Kent in the glass while um, Barry's talking. And he's talking about some really dark shit. And Kent is laughing. He's loving it. He's, he's so out of touch, you know? And, and again, it's that perfect thing that they did when they like wrote the screenplay and shot it. We're hearing horror and we're seeing this kid laughing and thinking it's cool and liking it. Yeah. And, you know, I thought that was really pretty deep. And, you know, in 1988, I was 18. Yeah. Sadly, I was Kent. You know, yeah. that was me. I was a fucking idiot. You know, and they they nailed it, man. I mean, wardrobe. I knew this guy. I hung out with this guy. You know, <laughs> I mean, this is this is 1988, 18 yeah. year old average kid. I mean, Kent. Fuck, I loved it. it and um, so let's talk about Ellen a little bit here and what happens. So. Let, let me just let me just jump back in. Oh, the, go ahead. Rape, I apologize. The rapist call was such a hard, again. Eighteen, it was like, all right, I see what they're going for. At fifty-two, that was wrenching. Wrenching. It was so hard to listen to that I'm sitting there going like, oh my god! And everyone in the studio was like, they you know they show his producer, they show the you know, business suits, and they're just watching him like, where are you going to go with this? Are you going to be the asshole who's going to tell him to go do it? Because the one thing you notice. He says, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. He never says, don't do it. Yeah. I kept waiting for it. And it's so hard to listen to this person begging and pleading and crying on the phone. Like, I don't want to do it. I already have her picked out. And just like, what, you know, what is it about her? What's it about a piece of pumpkin pie? What's a piece of apple pie? You just want to do it. It's an urge I can't control. And it was so scary. It was. It was, it was literally, you're listening to someone admit, this is going to happen. And then they hang up. And it's like, now he's going to do it. It's like terrifying, terrifying. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was some really, really strong writing. Um, and, you know, the I don't know who did it, if it was, you know, uh, Kent, Kent did it or whoever was doing the voice. But, you know, you could feel the desperation. Oh, it was, it, <laughs> talk about some, uh, some really heavy, dark, um, you know, shit they're talking about in this movie. Yeah. All right, so on to Ellen, sorry. Yeah, so my thoughts on Ellen here, I thought this was really interesting because, you know, he asks her to come down for this support, right? And, you know, he he's fucking sleeping when she gets to the airport. He doesn't even remember she's coming. He comes and he gets her. He brings her in, you know, so he's got her hanging out with this little, you know, fuck partner, his uh, producer in the same studio, you know, showing neither of them really any respect. Um. And, you know, he hears her talking to her husband. And, you know, quite honestly, she's not being flattering. She's talking to the husband. She doesn't know he can hear her. And he hears kind of how she really thinks about him at this point. You know, I mean, the guy is a dented can. 
And she's telling her husband as much. And I feel like this is why he gets so, you know, just horrid on her. He's almost telling her during this phone call, you know, he's cutting her loose. He's saying, you know, fuck you. Go back to your husband. I heard. I want to. I want to. I want to jump in here real quick. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I do not believe that she actually feels that way about him. I believe that that's what she tells Lou, so yeah. Lou will back off. Totally. I believe I that she actually that. loves uh, Barry still, and she's not sure how she's going to break that news to Lou eventually. See, it's but- funny. I saw it totally differently. I thought that you know. After being left, stood up at the airport and, you know, just basically treated like a secondhand citizen once again. I feel like at this point she is there for closure and, you know, she's there to just basically say, you can't keep calling me back. And, you know, this is pretty much going to be it. And I think he kind of gets that feeling. And that's why instead of being hurt, because like Tony said, this guy's got a big ego and he's opened himself up again. Instead of being hurt and letting her say, this is it. I won't be coming back again. He tells her, you're a piece of shit. Go back to your husband. You're a loser. He's a loser. Fuck off. Yeah, well, I, I think I, he was hurt because he yeah. thought, like, he believes that that's what she really thinks, but I don't believe that that was the truth. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't even think he believes that. That's why he he ran out at the end of the call to go find her to basically say, look, I, I screwed up. You know, it's like, oh, right. did you leave? Yep, and I don't blame her one bit. You know, it's like that whole interaction, like her, the phone call beforehand, you know, the last thing she says, she's like, well, you know, just just think of it as like I'm seeing a sick relative. You know, and that's, yeah. when, that's when Barry walks away. He's like, oh, that's what you think of me. And, yeah. but at the same time, during their day together, because I mean, that's, we got that little before and after the flashback, we got their interaction. She's like, yeah, you drove me crazy, but of course I love you. You know, you were, you were the best thing that ever happened to me. They, they rebonded, reconnected, and he thought things were really good until he heard that. Now, I don't think he thinks of her as a liar. That's the thing. is like she's never lied to him. He has no reason to think of that. So when she called in as, Car- as um, Cheryl Ann, which they made a point to show, that was what got his radio station going in the early years, yep. Cheryl Ann Paul. That was the point of Cheryl Ann calling in. You know, she said to it to Alec Baldwin, it's like, he's dying out there. He needs somebody. He needs somebody to help him. So she gave him the, I, you know, I, the whole story. It's like, I met, I, I have feelings for my ex-husband. I still love him. Well, you don't, you love your new husband. I, I, of course I love him, but I like him as a friend. Nothing's ever been as good as my ex-husband. And he's, and that's when he just explodes because he's got the ego. Even if right. he, he, and the thing is, he knows it's all true and he knows he's in a position where he has to. If he breaks down right there, his personality, his radio personality, his personal life, everything is gone. Barry right. Champlain is not there. It's back, back to Barry Goldworth, so whatever his real name was. That's who he is again. And he doesn't want to let the persona go. But he does love Ellen. I believe Ellen does love him. So she bared her soul to him, and he shit all over her. Like It was it was one of those like, oh, you, oh my God, you suck. Yeah, you know, but I, scene, it's like, oh. But like you said, you know, he knows she's not a liar. He caught her in a very, you know, in a very private moment with her new husband saying, you know, this guy is sick. You know, he's like, I feel like when she got there, it reminded her, like it all flooded back of why she left him originally. He's now 
you know, he shoehorned his wife and his girlfriend into the same studio. You know, he he left her at the airport. He's telling the other girl, you know, clean up these fuck sheets while I go pick up my wife. I mean, he's a piece of shit. And I feel like, you know, she got back there and she said, this is why we're not married anymore. Like, yeah, it's romantic looking back and being like, oh, this is the love of my life. But how good was it? And I feel like he caught her in a very private moment saying, you know, what she really thinks of me at this point on this day. She's saying, this guy's sick. He's a dented can. I'll be coming home. And I think that he may have been nervous that, you know, she had finally just seen him for what he was and had enough. And he was going to get the dump. And he wanted to put oh, it on her. Maybe. But but the, the, he does tell Stu at the end, again, getting ahead of ourselves, but he tells Stu at the end, I'm going to go to a hotel and try to talk to her. He's yeah. like, and Stu's like, that's what you should do. Well, because he's a narcissist and he also doesn't want to let that go. That's why he's calling her and forcing her to come back, even though she's married to this guy. It's a power play. He's saying, yeah. you're still going to run back to me every time I say come. But, you know, this is great. This is what I love about movies. And I love about talking to it with, you know, like-minded people is, you know, we all kind of saw it differently. And I think that's great movie making, you know? Yeah. Um, so let's not gloss over this amazing story he makes up um, to the Holocaust denier. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, when he's saying, you know, I went to this uh, concentration camp and, you know, I saw this little shiny thing and I picked it up. It was a Star of David and I knew I shouldn't have kept it, but I do. And I hold it when I'm talking to, you know, people like you, you know, and he's making this up as he's going along and it's so powerful. And he's saying, you know, it's right here on my console, which obviously we can see it's not. And I thought this again, man, just wow. Right. Shows what a, a great liar he is what a great liar he is, but also what a great, how he's just able to spin these tales on the radio and sound so genuine. Yeah. Yeah. He's got that story at his fingertips. Yeah. I mean, I've, and, it, and what a great story it was, right? Yeah. I mean, holy shit, man. Again, these powerful, powerful uh, scenes where, you know, they're taking us through this, you know, what it must have been like to have been a child and, you know, been torn from your, you know, experiencing horrors and, you know, and really calling this listener out for being just like, you know, just horrible. And it was just really great. You know, what I found interesting, too, is that, you know, Barry's Jewish and obviously the topic of religion comes up because when you're in Dallas, it's a very Christian area, you know, and um you have like the woman that has the revelation talk with them and you have the Zionists talk thing. And then also Jericho pizza. Like, yeah. Why would they name it Jericho pizza? Like that's a biblical name. The walls of Jericho. It was like a, involved in like the March of the Israelites. So it's like, it's interesting to me that they chose that name specifically, you yeah. know? Yeah, and, and he gets the call from the woman he insulted earlier. I got this a little wrong when I was writing this up, when I said, you know, he's showing sympathy towards the woman. She actually called twice, so it came a little later in the movie. This is He insults her the first time around, you know, saying, you know, you're just a leech. Don't you want more of a life just to be, you know, taking care of? She's like, no, nah, not really. So she calls back, and, you know, she's obviously been thinking about what he said, and it's, you know, it's upset her. And he can tell how upset she is. And, you know, he comes on with, you know, you got a belly button? got two belly buttons and you know he talks her down and he and he and it shows that barry champlain 
has more depth than just being a narcissist asshole. I mean, he is a caring person and you can tell he does care for people and he shows this in this scene. What'd you guys think of that, Tony? No, that was, it was, it was a great scene. It was, but again, it's one of the small handfuls where you feel like you see who he really could be. Right. Because we never see who he really is except an asshole. Right. Because 90% of somebody is, is what I'm going to believe. If you, if I see you 90% of the time being an asshole, you're an asshole. I don't care if you don't kick the puppy you see walking down the street or you, you know, you contribute $10,000 to cancer refund. If you're an asshole 90% of the time, you're an asshole. Right. So it's like, even though he shows moments of clarity, we'll say of, of being a good person, I don't believe he is a good person. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, you know, everybody's got a little slice of humanity in them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so, he's like 90% narcissist. Yeah, so, he is. He's bad. You know. And I'll tell you, through a lot of these scenes, the facial expressions that Eric Bogosian was putting oh. out were like, I mean, he was selling it, right? His eyes. It's all his, about his eyes. It is. And his mouth, you know, he just uh, he looks twisted and just insane. And he portrays such a great look of disgust. Yeah, like he's yeah. got this this like he's like he just threw up in his mouth. Look, talking yep. to almost all of these people, it goes from like frothing rage to just like oh, he's, I, I can't even get another word out. Yeah, he's such a and I've seen him in other things and I've never been blown away by his performance. I mean, he's been good, but this is I mean, there's no this is his. This is his tombstone movie, totally. Oh, 100%. I think a lot of it comes from the fact that, you know, he did this on that, you know, that off-Broadway play. So he probably really got a chance to, you know, develop this character longer yeah. than most people probably would when getting ready for a movie. I mean, this is his baby. He conceived it. So really interesting. Um, is this the scene? Is this scene when they have the close-up on his face and the studio is spinning behind him? Is that... Did we already that's, see that? That's the revelation. That's yeah. the revelation final. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're pretty much uh, almost to the end here. So let me just give you the last bit and we'll, we'll break it down. So Barry receives a call from Teresa, another threatening caller. Barry tells off the listeners with a rant. Oh, as the camera circles the room with Barry at the center of it. And this is that just amazing, powerful scene. In my opinion, this is one of the best shots in the movie. Um, the show ends with dead air and Barry saying, I guess we're all stuck with each other. Even after his on-air meltdown, Chuck tells Barry he loved the show yeah. and would be working on the national feed deal. Dan begrudgingly tells Barry, nice job. Barry foreshadows the end of the movie by asking, what if I don't come in tomorrow? On the way out, Barry shines Laura on as they walk to their cars. Laura drives off before Barry is confronted by a man asking for an autograph before shooting him dead. We get a radio outro of fans talking about Gary as the camera pulls away from his bloody face. Black and white to color, the radio antenna, and a final sweeping view of Dallas and ending on the studio reel-to-reel clicking off. Uh, Tony, let's hear about the end here. There's, there's just a lot there. Give, give me the first few points again. I'm no. actually, okay. As you're going, I'm going this, this, this. <laughs> yeah, so he receives the call from uh, Teresa. That was the the caller that Delin was talking about. Yeah. So so during, I actually want to take a, a few steps back. Cause it's funny because Alec Baldwin is really good in this movie in the sense that he's a he's a corporate 
he's 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 his boss, so he yeah. wants the show to do good. He's all he keeps saying is, "I've worked this deal, I've worked this deal, I've worked this deal." He doesn't really care about Bogosian. He doesn't care about about Barry at all. He cares about the deal. You're gonna blow this deal. You're gonna blow this deal. It's like, what's well, my show? I come with it. He's like, he never acknowledges that Barry is the reason. Right. He acknowledges yeah. that the show. It's always the show. And watching him, Ellen, when Ellen's getting ready to call in, she's like, he's like, what are you doing? Yeah, he turns on Barry. Yeah, he basically wants him to go down in flames. He yep. wants the deal to go bad, so you basically fire him because he does. He's almost like doesn't want Ellen to call in to save him. Mm-hmm. And then he's sitting there listening and just shaking his head as he's going down in flames, knowing it's happening. So at the end, when he has to begrudgingly, great job. Like he didn't expect it, almost yeah. like he didn't want it. But here it is. So. But yeah, the spinning and the thing that's funny is like as Teresa's giving him the revelations talk, he's going off on his tangent about how you people need me. I'm the scum. You know, you people are terrible. I don't need you. You need me. You people scare me. Like all his inner emotions are finally just vomiting out over the air. His face is disgusted. His eyes are bugging out and the camera slowly starts spinning. So you're seeing everyone in the studio. And by the end of it, you are very, very speed increases. Yeah. With every revolution showing the anxiety that he has it's a subtle cinematography trick that gets the emotion of the words to match physically and it's so fucking good it's like it's such a movie lovers geek out moment that's like when you realize that's there it's like oh good for yeah. you, you know? yeah <laughs> and it's amazing how um how oliver stone was able to make this like it's all shot basically the whole movies in this little radio station he makes it feel big he makes it yeah. a world right Totally does. A lot of neon, a lot of shadows, a lot of lighting, up and down, in and out. You don't know. And a lot of it's the same five rooms. But yeah. because the lighting and colorization are different, it's it's almost like dizzying of what doorway goes to what area. But again, it's a small, subtle thing. But yeah, I, I definitely hear what you're saying with that. Um, what was what was after the, the call-in and the spinning? and? Um, yeah, so, you know, he, he tells them basically, you know, he tells him that he's going to go ahead and, you know, work on the deal. Right. So, you know, you see um, Dan come with, uh, what's, what's his name? Uh, Deets. Yes. And, you know, and you're thinking, like you said, you know, Dan, you're thinking Dan is watching this deal blow up. But no, he's, the other guy's watching the show and being like, I think he liked it even more. He's like, this guy is freaking gold. He's radio gold. And he's, he's going to give him the deal. And, let me ask you this. Do you guys think that at this point, Dan thought that, you know, all the work he had done was for naught and, you know, Barry blew it. And like you said, maybe he's looking for a reason to fire him. He's obviously pissed at him and it, it, he's turned on him where in the beginning of the movie, he's got his back and he's believing in him and he's trying to pump him up. And, you know, at this point he wants him to go down in flames. And I almost feel like it's one of those things where it's like, he thought it was already ruined and you know why not just you know let him just go. pour gas on it right totally yeah like his biggest blessing was his biggest curse yeah exactly yeah you know, i mean i think that's one of the things that i always wondered and i still do watching it again is that when they come back you know he comes in the studio it's like hey we have bad news we're going to hold off for a few weeks was that because the show wasn't as intense as they wanted it to be was that a pre arranged thing like I, I never got the i never got the understanding of what was the real reason for that until tonight when i realized when deets came out he basically said this is this is what we like it's like great show great show i'm going to talk to the lawyers 
So talking to the lawyers, I took it as we now need to get lawyers involved to protect you from the stuff you're going to say. Right. You know, standards yeah. practices. They have to get them involved to protect you. So that he, it's almost like Dietz wanted to see how far he was going to go. Yeah, nice when call. He when he didn't go far enough on the first night, when we're sitting here horrified at what he's saying, it's almost like Dietz wanted to see him go all the way. And when yeah. he finally saw it happening, that's when he's like, we're going to go through this. I'm going to go back and talk to lawyers. We're going to make this deal go through. I love that you brought that up because now it actually brings back another scene in my mind where he asks the producer, how often does this happen? And she goes, oh, like regularly, you know, like you said, like he wanted to see if he was capturing like a real snapshot of what this show is. Like, did he show up on a good night where it was like a ton of drama and craziness? Or was this a one off and it's kind of a boring show? And, you know, she says, no, this is the this is the regular around here. And then he sees the stakes raised even higher the second night. And, you know, Dan is trying to get him to tone it down. So I don't think Dan really understood what Dietz was looking for. Right. Yeah. It, it always made you feel like the two of them together. But it's almost like Dan was trying to make, trying to make the deal, trying to make the deal, trying to make the deal. You're going to fuck it up. But Barry actually knew what Dietz wanted. Yeah. That's and why he kept I, my show. I'm doing it. And that's why every time you saw Dietz, he kind of had a smirk on his face. Yeah. Like knowing it. Yeah, it's great, great read on it. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that, but yeah, I think you, I think you've hit the nail on the head there for sure. And and just his his walking the girlfriend out, the producer out, you, it felt like a breakup. You know, I'm too old for you. You don't know the Beatles. You don't. You weren't alive during this. She's like, look, I don't know love, but I know when you care about somebody enough. Like she's trying to salvage it, and he's basically. That's why I always I felt he's going to go for Ellen at that point. Cause he said, I have to go. And he's like, I'll take a rain check on the burger. Yep. Like he has to go find his ex-wife because he needs to get that back. That's why I felt what Ellen and him had was really, really. And she was honest and he was just being a dick for the yeah. show because at that point he pretty much broke up with her on the walk to the car. Oh, he definitely did. So, I mean, and you know, and then we get to the end, which you knew was coming just a matter of how and when, and the way they set it up was just, it, it was what it was what it was i can't say it was shocking but and it, the, i liked the credits in the sense of he's dead they pull back we go to credits and it's the skyline with all the people we've heard of all night talking about how they like him well he wasn't that bad of a guy sure he was a little mouthy but you know no he didn't deserve to die and it's like it's just bullshit it's oh yeah these same people that were these same people that were booing him at the basketball game are now like, oh, you know, maybe he was all right. I love to. I think it was that crazy kid, Kent, that did it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it is America. It's no one's going to take responsibility when something bad happens. Everyone's pointing fingers at somebody else. Everyone becomes a martyr. Everyone becomes a hero. And it's, it's bullshit. And yeah. Oliver Stone is so good. Everyone, you know, he got labeled a, a conspiracy theorist, you know, after the whole JFK thing. But it's like, not for nothing, he came up with a lot more evidence than, than a lot of like the Warren report and all that. So, I mean, you can call him a conspiracy theorist if you want it, but the man can prove his points. I mean, I, I'd love to do, and I'm, I'm not trying to poke things, but you ever do natural born killers? Oh, I got a lot to say. Oh, <laughs> oh sure. Boy, me too. Me too. All right. Well, we'll put that one on the list then. His view of America media glorializing, glorizing, glorizing, glorifying killers, violence, and, and just insanity for media and ratings that's what this was you sold crazy you sold scared you sold terror that's how rush limbaugh made a living for until until he died 
Yeah. You know, it's like, that's what these people are do. And he captured that in a 90 minute film, which blew me away a second time, almost 40 years later. Yeah. Really short film too. Right. Yeah. It, it flew by. Yeah. You know, it's funny. This movie is basically a precursor to natural born killers because it's basically the media <laughs> and America and the way we treat each other. It's, you know, yes, it's a serial killer movie versus, uh, you know, a talk show radio, but it's uh, it's kind of a precursor to it if you think about it. Because if you take his thoughts and the thoughts of Barry Champlain a step further, you're going into that realm of when the media gets a hold of something and it goes into the machine and it co comes out the other side, you know? Yeah, completely. Um, Natural Born Killers, that's with Woody Harrelson? Yeah. Yep. Julia yeah, Lewis. I don't know if I ever saw it. I, I oh, maybe, oh my god! How did you never see it? Yeah, maybe I've seen you know pieces of it, but I I couldn't even tell you what the plot is. Like what the two of them go across the country killing people. Yeah, one, pretty much. One, one it's disturbing. Costumes. <laughs> Have you guys seen um California with Brad Pitt? Yeah, yeah. Around another. the same time, which was which was too bad because that was a great movie that got lost in the in the shuffle. Yeah. Which one do you think was better out of the two? Oh, Natural Born Killers, without a doubt. Oh, really? Okay, because I oh, saw California, but I don't think I saw Natural. Cool. It was like three of them. It was True Romance, uh, Natural Born Killers, and California. That all kind of came out at the same idea, at same time with the, basically the same premise. I have trouble taking Christian Slater uh, seriously. <laughs> I don't know if that movie would work for me to be I, honest I would, with you. I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't love True Romance. And the True Romance is that's in the you know the the that it's in the Manhunter. It's in the the Tony Scott the, the yeah. action. That one's more action, whereas Natural Born Killers in California are very, it's a lot more thriller drama. Gotcha, yeah. Where I took True Romance. I mean, True Romance is definitely in my top echelon of like 80s action. That, gotcha. There's a million characters that are just quotable and just hysterical and, and terrible at the same time. Let me throw one more title at you, Tony. Have you ever seen Drugstore Cowboy? Oh, God, yeah. With Matt yeah. That's yeah. a Yeah, that's like one of my favorites of all times, too. But, but that one's dark. Oh, oh yeah. very, very. Gus, Gus, Van Dan, Gus Van Dan don't laugh. That man has no humor in his body. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so let's get some final thoughts on this. So, um, Dylan, why don't you give me your final thoughts? Am I giving my score? Uh, give me your final thoughts and your score, sure. All right, so um, final thought is definitely not the kind of movie I would normally pick to watch. Um, that being said, outstanding performances by every single person in this movie. I mean, the only other thing I think I had seen um, Ellen in was Little Shop of Horrors, where she's like <laughs> singing and dancing with a puppet. So, yeah. um, you know, she was outstanding. Of course, Eric Bogosian was uh, it's like another level, like everyone has already said. Um, just really amazing. Um, I don't think I'd watch it again. Let's be fair. I probably won't watch it again, but it was definitely worth my time to watch it. I did catch myself looking at my phone a couple times. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> but I would stop myself. I'd say, no, put it down. Pay attention. Um, so I'd say I'd probably give it a three for a rewatch score. Um, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, I know you're going to take the score and make it whatever the fuck you want at the end anyways. So <laughs> I'm going to give it a three because it's not my type of movie. And it's, you know, it's definitely a a movie that somebody who's into an Oliver Stone type mood is going to love, but not normally my general fare. So three for me. Okay. Tony, 
unpack it for us. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Don't hold back and then give me your score. There's there's a handful of movies that, I mean, I'm a horror guy. We, we've established that. We know that. I'll watch horror day and night. So for me to not watch a horror movie, watch a drama, watch a, a comedy is rare. So, I mean, this came out in 88. I was watching everything. I worked in a video store all through high school, all through college. Oh, cool. You know, and I went and saw a lot of independent films because that's just what I what I did. And there's always there's been always been a handful of movies that will always stand out as a snapshot of the times that I felt were completely accurate of that time that no one knew about. This being one of them. Another one being Menace to Society. Another one being Kids. Mm, Those kids. Are oh, snapshots of scary, disturbing things that people knew about but no one talked about, and that that was and they were just horrifying things to sit through, but you felt. Like not, I can't say learned because that sounds like I'm I'm really demeaning it. I don't mean it to, but it's like it exposed you to something that is in your face and you can't turn away from. Watching talk radio, he's so in your face. His voice is so booming. You can't not pay attention. Unlike Dylan, who looks at her phone, you can't not <laughs> like be drawn in by what he's Sorry. saying <laughs> at, at every second because you want again. You want to hear what? Are you going to be an asshole? Are you going to try and actually be a good person? So I mean, this movie. Whereas it's not my, again, not my usual fare is still, I haven't watched it in easily, easily like a decade, 15 years. I even thought about it until you brought it up and I'm like, Oh, I got to do that. Um, this is a definitely a movie I would recommend to people. I, I agree with Dylan. I'm not going to watch this again anytime soon, but it's definitely a movie that I would put on for people. like, Hey, what do you want to watch tonight? What's a good movie? I'm like, depending who the group was, this is a movie I would want to watch to watch the people watch it yeah and watch their reaction like that's when we have when i have movie nights i try to pick out movie double features that i think go together that people will get something from not just be entertained but also like if it's the gross crew i'm going to pull out the most gross stuff if this is like hey you like ghosts let me show you the scariest stuff i got and i'll watch them watch it because i've seen everything so i need to watch it again i like to watch people watch movies so this is high on that list of I want to, I, I just showed it to you. Tell me your thoughts. And because this, this is the kind of film that you get into deep discussions with, with people across any kind of religious, political, you know, introvert, extrovert kind of personalities. That's going to, you, you can't li- not watch this movie and not feel something. So it, it's, it's a great um, conversation starter. It's a great movie, cinematography, acting, all top fucking notch. Rewatchability, mm, three and a half to four for a movie that I love. It's definitely four and a half, four point seven five. But if we're just doing rewatchability, it's not one I'm going to watch anytime soon because it's such a hard, emotional ringer of a of a movie. Watching someone destroy themselves and everyone else around them. So I got to go three three 3.75. All right, three point seven five from Tony, three from Delin. <clears throat> As I've already um. As I've already revealed, this is a movie that I've seen literally no exaggeration. I've probably seen this movie a hundred times. Um, I listened to this movie on at least I'll listen to this entire audio through at least once every couple of weeks. Um, I could probably recite this movie word for word. It's freaking awesome. Um, I will watch this again another hundred times easily. <laughs> and it's obviously a five rewatch for me, a hundred percent. So with uh, Tony's three, uh, Tony's three point seven five, Delin's three, and my five, 
I'm not going to go above five anymore like I did last week with Neighbors. That was ridiculous, even though it is a 13 and will always be a 13. <laughs> but this movie is a five because it's my scale and there are no rules. And uh, it's a five. And if you haven't seen Talk Radio, what are you waiting for? Go see this movie. It's fucking awesome. Guys, I want to say I really enjoyed this podcast. It was awesome discussion. Um, I enjoyed the new format. Tony, what did you think? No, I dug it. it, it yeah. Was a lot. Yeah, it went quick. It was an hour and 21 minutes. That's with everything all wrapped up and sealed. So I want to thank you, Delin, as always. You know, I love you know watching and discussing movies with you. And Tony, you know, you've become a staple on the show. I love talking about movies with you because you are a movie aficionado. You know your shit, and it comes through on every podcast, and you sounded great tonight, too. I want to say your audio was um, five rewatches. Yeah, it was really good. (laughs) Um, And, of course, I want to thank all the listeners for stopping by, listening to the show, supporting the show. We're going to be doing some uh, social media soon, you know, and uh, we want to get you guys more involved. I want to start getting some emails from you so you can help us make the show better. Give us your thoughts. Start reading some of your emails on the on the uh, show. I'm not looking for any chats. Okay, so if you're chat, don't don't call in. Don't don't write. And we will be back next week. We will be reviewing, and this is a favorite of one of our co-hosts. He's asked if we could do it, and I agreed. It's a movie that I've never seen all the way through. Ford Fairlane. <laughs> and we're going to be watching and discussing this with Pat, the podcaster with a fully packed bong because he loves this movie. Oh, and yeah, I, I, this is I one that I, I don't think I would ever really watch unless I was asked to. But I I, um, I think it's about a rock and roll detective as a white Stratocaster. So I do have some hopes. Tony, have you ever seen it? I love that movie and i feel dirty saying that (laughs) i don't even i i know i have the dvd somewhere but i can honestly say it's like you just can't watch you can't make a movie like that these days oh god i love it that's so funny so yeah so we'll be back next week with ford fairlane and pat and his you know his uh excited um opinions uh so thanks you guys and tony we'll we'll come up with something uh for you to come back and do maybe natural born killers if that's something you and delin are interested in i would definitely watch it Um, so all right thanks guys until next time hey did you ever see that movie bye see ya